In this episode of Our Common Salvation, we'll seek to define, describe, and provide a biblical evaluation for a handful of secular psychological interventions in the interest of the care and the cure of the human soul. Uh, there are four of these that I want us to think about today, and they're uh, not brought together necessarily because they are related to one another, but because over the last generation or so, they've garnered a fair amount of attention in our culture and are probably worth a biblical response. And those would include 12-step recovery programs, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT as it's known, the biogenetic theory of mood disorders, and don't worry, we'll describe what that is, and then finally, electroconvulsive therapy. Well, let's get started. 12-step recovery programs have their origins in the 1939 book entitled Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how more than 100 men have recovered from alcoholism. This is also known sometimes as the big book or the big blue book in 12-step circles. A 12-step program is essentially a form of personal and group therapy that focuses on freeing persons from enslavement to substance abuse by working the so-called 12 steps featured in the big book. Though the degree of Christian influence in the original 12 steps is debated, the steps themselves as they stand are clearly non-committal in their religious framework and approach. So for example, step two says we came to believe that a power, capital P, greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, capital G, as we understood him. Step five, we admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all defects of this character. Seven, we asked, we humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Step 11, we have sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for a knowledge of his will for us and for the power to carry that out. And finally, step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry these principles in all our affairs. Well, while the participants in such a program are encouraged to seek help from God as they understand him, the 12-step recovery programs in their rawest form are quite simply, if I can put it with maybe not too fine a point, idolatrous and ought to be avoided by Christians. Now, there are Christianized versions of the 12 steps that are mirrored in groups such as Celebrate Recovery, and they are an improvement for sure. In fact, I wouldn't really liken Celebrate Recovery to a classic secular 12-step program because of its intentional, not only focus on 
God as in the Christian God, the triune God of the Bible, but also a pretty rigorous focus on Jesus Christ and the gospel of salvation that he offers as the only means of salvation. In this way, the idea of celebrate recovery and the, con- the contents there is a, is a quite a bit a step beyond classic secular 12-step recoveries, and it's an improvement to be sure. But better still would be Ed Welch's curriculum, for example, called Crossroads, a step-by-step guide away from addiction. And, and while Crossroads takes a steps-type approach and even consciously uh, mirrors the colors of AA, blue and white on the cover of its booklets, its contents are profoundly rooted in the authority and sufficiency of Scripture and the centrality of the gospel of the grace of God as the power to transform lives. Welch's curriculum, Crossroads, is far preferable even to celebrate recovery and certainly to generic 12-step programs like AA, which really are Christless. They're they're a Christless substitute for real God-glorifying change. Remember that God's goal in our recovery isn't sobriety. Sobriety is something that is thrown in on our way to heaven as we grow in sanctification, heading to the ultimate goal, goal of glorification. Now, let's change gears. Cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT. CBT is far and away uh, the reigning secular therapeutic intervention these days used in treating individuals in the personal problem sphere. CBT, as the name suggests, um, is an approach to dealing with problems in our lives that emphasizes right thinking, which in turn directs behavior and then leads to positive impacts in the areas of our mood, our outlook, etc. For a generation now, CBT has garnered a great deal of empirical evidence that strongly suggests its effectiveness in the lives of millions. And furthermore, many evangelical psychotherapists embrace this therapy with enthusiasm as they believe it comports well with the biblical worldview and can be grounded in Holy Scripture. While there's no doubt that much of CBT's effectiveness is indeed due to the superficial affinities it shares with the biblical vision of change, so think of Romans 12.1, be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, or the way that Paul talks about learning Christ and the transformation of the mind in Ephesians 4.17-24, or when Paul discusses the importance of taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10. Five, it's true that it shares these superficial affinities of the priority of the mind as a biblical vision of change, but it's also true that CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, in its secular version, falls woefully short of the broader scriptural picture of sanctification as grounded in the gospel. While CBT does reflect a surface similarity with the way in which the biblical authors describe personal change, there are too many missing ingredients for it to be an intervention that a biblical counselor can use in good conscience. And by the way, when we think about CBT, we would also consider mindfulness therapy to be a very similar uh, subset, actually, if you will, from the broader umbrella of CBT. Mindfulness therapy tends to be probably the big dog in the room right now with regard to this approach. 
But the fact of the matter is mindfulness and CBT in general are bereft of a God-centered orientation, Romans 11.36. Mindfulness and CBT, they, they underplay the role of the human heart, Jeremiah 17.9, Proverbs 4.23. CBT and mindfulness therapy has no place for the pardoning and empowering reality of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Romans 11, 6 and 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Furthermore, mindfulness and CBT uh, and its cognitive focus, though nobly focused on transformation by the renewing of the mind, it, it isn't rooted in divine revelation. And thus, they find their feet firmly planted in midair in hopeless relativism. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 would be the biblical response here regarding the sufficiency of Scripture. Now let's shift gears once again. The biogenetic theory of mood disorders posits that individuals who suffer from depression, uh, maybe bipolar, or any number of other disorders have an uneven level of brain transmitters namely dopamine or uh, norepinephrine or serotonin. And this results in what's frequently known as a quote-unquote chemical imbalance. Perhaps you've heard that phrase before. It's a popular phrase in the cultural vernacular, a chemical imbalance. Well, as the source of the issue is thought to be physical in this case, the dominant method for treating uh, such cases in recent years has been the use of prescription medications. Now, while we always want to be careful to remember that human beings are both body and soul, think about Genesis 2-7, and thus we are subject to ailments that frequently have a physical source, there is no reason, in fact, there is great reason to be less than optimistic about the biogenetic theory of mood disorders. Not only have physicians and scholars and counselors in the world raised valid concerns about the theory, but so have those in the secular realm as well. In fact, as biblical counselor Martha Peace writes, quote, if asked, most doctors will admit that the chemical imbalance diagnosis is their best guess and that medicines do have unpleasant and even severe side effects to say nothing of the withdrawal effects, end quote. Biblical counselors are wise to continue to listen to and evaluate such thinking as the biogenetic theory of mood disorders, but nevertheless to press forward with a scripture-rich vision and practice of gospel-saturated soul care in humble dependence upon the Holy Spirit working through God's authoritative and sufficient word. Well, finally, yet again, let's change the topic to electroconvulsive therapy or ECT. ECT is a medical procedure where, in the words of one author, quote, small electric currents are passed through the brain, which causes a seizure lasting shorter than 60 seconds. And the goal of ECT is to reboot the brain in order to reverse symptoms of mental illness, end quote. ECT, uh, similar to prescription medication in this case, but with far greater invasiveness and risk, is an entirely unnecessary and potentially hazardous medical intervention with serious side effects. Furthermore, ECT merely treats symptoms, not causes. Thus, biblical counseling is still essential in such a situation. 
ECT is an attempt to take a spiritual problem, let's say depression, for example, and treat it with a medical solution. Well, far wiser course of action instead would be to treat a spiritual problem with the spiritual solution of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the comprehensive rescue for our lives, regardless of the trouble we face. Romans 1.16. Thinking back on these matters, whether 12-step programs or cognitive behavioral or mindfulness therapies or techniques, uh, the biogenetic theory of mood disorders and so on, electroconvulsive therapy, we want to remember the words of the Apostle Paul to the congregation in Rome in Romans 15.14, where he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and able to counsel one another. Grace and peace.